G'day everyone, welcome to Lubrication Experts. I've got a really exciting interview here today. Um, uh, today we've got uh, Tal Wagstaff, who's the founder of Redlist. If you've not come across them and their software platform just yet, well, um, we'll do a bit of an introduction and you can get an idea for, for what they do. I think they're doing some really good work in the industry, so I'm excited to explore that. Um, maybe just to, to start off, um, could you please introduce both yourself as well as the business as well as maybe uh, some of the industries that you guys tend to play in. Yeah, would love to. Um, thanks, Ray, for having us, having me on. Uh, we're excited to be on your channel and, uh, you know, watching your videos, they all uh, apply to the world we live in as well. So really excited to be here. Um, I guess I'll start with the company, just to give a real quick high level uh, intro to Redlist. Redlist is a tech company. We build apps for maintenance teams, um, lubrication team, so lubrication management software, and we have some safety modules as well. Um, we've been doing it since about 2014. Um, for myself, I'm one of the founders. Uh, my story, I guess, with lubrication and maintenance um, dates back to, to some some humble beginnings. One of my one of my favorite pictures of my childhood, Rafe, is uh, it's me and my older brother. I'm like five in the picture. He's seven and we're both covered in grease. Uh, sitting shotgun in my dad's pickup truck and uh, we're both asleep it's kind of a it was kind of like a a Saturday tradition for for my dad to to pack up me and my brother go down to the family business and we were just keeping the keeping the machines lubricated so I I got an early introduction to how to change a tube of grease um and uh, I did, I did, uh, I did that as a teenager. Did a lot of like oil changes and lubrication tasks on on in a family business. Uh, became an equipment operator through college, um, and then I got even heavier into the lubrication space. Uh, after after education, I worked for Mobile uh, for their uh, lubrication and specialties company. So um, I was an engineer with Mobile, and essentially the goal was the same uh, as it had been since I was a kid. You know, we're we're working hard to keep the machinery healthy and producing and profitable right so um that's that's me that's kind of my professional journey um and then after mobile i'm i'm still in the lubrication space but like i mentioned with redlist we're a software company that has the same goals as as we all do as we work in this this space of lubrication so yeah and so then in terms of industries that you guys tend to service is it, yeah, is yeah. it pretty broad it's kind of everything or are you guys focused on a particular niche yeah i would say it's uh, it's fairly broad um i would say we we are focused in heavy industries so to us that means like um mining companies manufacturing companies metals producers cement um I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, but broad across heavy industry, we're not quite as focused on. Um, essentially, it's the folks whose whose equipment is the lifeblood of their of their revenue stream, right? So, um, you might have like a facility that needs preventative maintenance done on it as well, but you can make as much money in a soccer stadium with an old facility that is kind of crumbling as you can with a new facility. So, um, we're we're more focused on the on the heavy industrial side, folks that are. You know their revenue is dependent on the assets being healthy so yeah awesome awesome um well i mean obviously we we, we share a lot in common i didn't actually realize that you were a mobile engineer so uh we do have that in common as well yeah um mainly yeah. what I, I wanted to talk to you guys about today was um you know came to my attention that you guys had done a a survey of your customer base 
And, and like you said, because you cover a, a pretty wide range of industries, um, I thought that that would be interesting to talk about because um, it feels like it feels like uh, industry and manufacturing is going through a lot of changes. I mean, I know everyone is kind of post-COVID, but in particular, you know, there's a lot of discussion about uh, labor shortages and let's say, for example, the reshoring effort, you know, infrastructure bills, obviously in the US, but that's um, not just confined to the US. I think that's a, a reasonably common trend around the world where people are looking at their manufacturing and bases and saying, well, maybe we shouldn't have outsourced all of that. Um, maybe we should bring some home. And there's obviously um, some challenges that go along with that. So I'm really interested to hear, in, in some ways, uh, some of the feedback that is coming direct from the maintenance teams, the maintenance supervisors, things like that. Because um, I think that'll really help um, our mm -hmm. listeners understand some of the challenges that are out there. You know, they might be, right. and in some cases, some of our listeners might have the same challenges, but think that they're alone in it and it would be it would be nice for them to feel like oh hang on everyone is is facing the same sort of dilemma um sure. so maybe just to start what what prompted you guys to to do this survey and get that feedback from your customer base sure. yeah so um i guess probably a little more detail about software than you want to know is there's there's a, a methodology called continuous discovery um software good software companies are not just building features and delivering them to their customers, right? There's there's kind of two pieces to building software. There's discovering the problems that your customers care about and then actually delivering solutions to those. So the survey piece is just part of that continuous discovery process that our product team runs. You're trying to essentially learn, <clears throat> especially when you're in a broad, uh, a myriad of broad industries like we are, you're trying to discover common overlapping problems so that your software can you can build features that actually helps people's lives get better so so it's just a part of our of our ongoing process um it's it's like a mix between your marketing department and your product team trying to find the right things that because you know when you have a, a good customer base it's a pretty good bet that their problems are are a good representation of the market in general so yeah interesting um would you mind helping us just understand what are some of the specific questions that you were you were asking in that survey? Like, what, what's the kind of information? That yeah, you were so looking for? I don't I don't have the the survey in front of me, but it was essentially just like, hey, tell us what your your hot buttons are. What are what are the things that are you know related to your maintenance team? What are what are your biggest problems? Where are some areas that um, you feel like uh, you're limited or um, that kind of the biggest pains? And that's as you as you mentioned, that's a shifting answer, a shifting landscape. So um, <clears throat> that's that's really what when you're doing this continuous discovery process, you're trying to do is either identify a problem that somebody has, like a real a real life problem that you can solve for them, or some desire that they have. It doesn't have to be a problem you're solving. It could be that they want better tasting ice cream or whatever. But but for us you know we're we're typically when you're working with a maintenance team it's it's pretty easy to say hey tell us what your problems are and five years ago it you know it might have been that that prices were too high on something or or they're trying to reduce cost or healthier equipment but like you mentioned right now the the theme of the day is is shortages right like that that there's a lot of different answers to our to our kind of that general question of what problems are you facing in the current environment um, and we'll we'll dive into that, but there's there's uh, everybody's feeling 
feeling the pinch uh, on whether it be their people, their uh, parts, consumables, uh, budgets. Uh, everybody's feeling a shortage. Uh, just trying to do more more with less is essentially kind of the the theme of of all the responses that we got. Yeah, it, it, it's really interesting. I mean, I had an opportunity to read through probably some of the responses. I don't think it was necessarily all of them, but um, like you said, if there was an overarching theme, it, it seemed like there was a a shortage of everything. But <laughs> so so right. it, it felt like it's um, shortage of of people, shortage of parts, shortage of products, shortage of budget, shortage of you know management support. Um, you know, for what these guys are doing, even, um, you know, some, some of the some of the responses were almost heartbreaking in some ways because people are talking about the the psychological uh, burden that it's placing on them right. as well. So, yeah. you know, I'd like to address maybe some of those uh, in particular. Um, maybe if we start with with labor, right, because sure. this is kind of. Uh, I mean, you guys, I think, are officially in a recession and Australia's headed that way yes. at the moment. Uh, right. You know, a lot of the world is kind of in a, a bit of a downturn. But this is a weird downturn where in my, a lot of the industries that you and I are exposed to, they can't hire enough people. Right. So it's kind That's of crazy. like it's not uh, I mean, I, I suspect there is some displacement of workers. Let's say, for example, in tech industry, you hear a lot of the the, the big tech companies laying off people, but it's not. It's sort of like right. a, a white collar recession versus a blue collar recession, right? Um, so it feels like the deck is a bit stacked against a lot of industries. So we always right. had this overarching thing where demographics were kind of against us because it felt like we had a, a an overhang um, of very experienced people who are about to sort of age out of the workforce don't have that many young people coming through. Um, maybe some of these businesses are seen as being less attractive uh, to yeah, younger yeah. people or the younger generations and stuff as well. I so think that's a big, it, I think that's a big point that people don't, uh, you don't talk about as much, right? We talk about the aging labor force, but also just the shift in the economy as well, right? Like just 15 years ago when I was working in, in the oil and gas space, working for mobile, the the biggest companies in the world were all you know the big oil companies and mm. just just in that short time like the bigger companies are all tech companies and i think there is a a big perception where people think you know the sexy place to go work is is amazon or apple or whatever and, and you kind of kind of have this shift away from where people you know 20 30 years ago it was like you you needed to be able to work a piece of equipment or work with your hands or with with tools and yes you you might need to be able to turn on a computer and enter some data every once in a while now it's kind of like the opposite right it's like you need to be able to live and work in a computer and then every once in a while you might have to go turn on a piece of equipment and do something with it right and yeah, and so that's sure. it's not just that you know that the labor force is getting older it's also that it's it's shifting where people like there's i think like you said this perceived at least for young people coming out of college it's like i want to i want to work in tech or with tech and and so i think that's another big challenge that the 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 companies are are facing is 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 just the perception of what it's like to to work in those in those businesses so yeah like it almost seems like it's the prerogative of older generations to kind of dump on younger generations right and say you know they're, <laughs> they're not as good as us or you know the, you know the assumption is oh they all want to be 
TikTok creators and they all want to go yeah. and work at Google right. and have free right. lunches and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, for all those broad generalizations, there is an element of truth to um, sure. the, the yeah. general manufacturing and mining and oil and gas being uh, less attractive, you know, propositions than they probably were in the past, um, which is right. obviously uh, m making it a bit harder. So do you see in, in this labor market or in the industries that you work with, do you see any sort of creative solutions that people are kind of trying to come up with to uh, to close that gap, either in hiring, retention, or even like yeah. innovative ways, whether it's using sure. software or, yeah. or you know, uh, part-time labor, how are they bridging that gap? Right, so a couple of thoughts there. First of all, I'm, I'm not like a labor expert or I'm not, I can't, I'm not like the guy to ask like how to solve this problem for, for these companies. But, but as I work with them as customers and, you know, helping them, uh, you know, navigate their, their software problems, the things that they're trying to do with, with applications, I do see a lot of young people uh, that are, that are working for them. And I think, I think most of them are surprised at like how a manufacturer or a mining company or whoever it is, they're all tech companies as well. Right. And some, some of them are just barely like starting to ride the wave. And so it's this really exciting time where say you're like a new engineer in mining or in manufacturing and you you show up and you think you're you're hiring on to some old, you know, kind of this is the way it's been. These guys have been in business for a hundred years type business, but they're all just like barely getting on the technology wave. So I think I think it's a complete misconception from whatever you call the generation that <clears throat> that they're not tech companies because everybody literally is when we sell our software it's rarely like hey you know are you guys thinking about doing these types of things or are you are, have you considered this it's a much different conversation it's like it's more like when are you going to do it how are you going to do it are you building these apps yourself or which solution are you choosing right so so i think that's that's one thing like like you mentioned um, I'm sure the recruiters for these businesses are are helping to show the young people like, look, we are tech companies. We're completely revolutionizing the way we do business. Um, and I think that's exciting. And and really, it just all it takes is for a person to kind of put their head, duck their head into the business for a minute and see all the all the fun things that they're developing and, and building. So I don't think it's as big of a problem um, as a lot of people perceive it to be, as long as you can kind of get the people in the door and show them like, what initiatives you're working on um i do think i do think you, you you have to figure out how to do uh more with less and certainly see a lot i mean that's that's one of the primary primary problems that that we try to solve with with our software and a lot of our competitors and apps in general right is to make the workforce um more capable and there's just there should be less work to do because you're kind of uh, documenting your work as you perform it. Um, so, so I think I think software uh, and technology does, you know, if the labor force does shrink, you know, as these baby boomers retire, um, they should be able to accomplish more with less with with better tools. So, yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, one of the things that always uh, it never ceases to surprise me. I guess I would is how I would put it is going into some of these more modern manufacturing facilities and seeing yeah. the level of automation, like how few people in some cases there are on the shop floor versus right. how much is being produced 
you know, how totally. many widgets or whatever are coming out the back end. It, it's it, crazy. It's kind of astonishing, right? That, that <laughs> yeah. how much production can happen with so few people. But like you said, right. you know, that speaks to automation and software and all the rest of it. Um, all right. So the second maybe overarching shortage, if you like, yeah. seemed to be shortage of uh, things. So shortage of primarily uh, a lot of people complaining about uh, shortage of spare parts. Right. Um, yeah. Again, in in your particular customer base, which is pretty broad, how are you seeing them kind of rise to that challenge? Yeah. So that one has been interesting. Like, you know, we have relationships with uh, a lot of suppliers and a lot of customers, and and they've all been very open about the challenges. Like, like you mentioned, it it seems like it's been one after another, whether it was lockdowns or, you know, some cargo ship stuck in a canal somewhere that affects all of us. It's it's been crazy, kind of how how many um, things have stacked up just to make it like felt feels like the perfect storm. Um, and so I think what a lot of um, uh, customers companies have had to do is kind of broaden their supply base. You know, most folks have have been at least in my short career. What I've noticed is a lot of people have tried to consolidate suppliers. Right? It's like it's a lot easier for purchasing. It's just smoother. And then this came along and they're like, oh, this is the downside of consolidating suppliers. Um, and, you know, with the global economy that we have, it, it it feels like this is the first time we've had this hiccup. So I've, I've seen a lot of people broaden their supply chain quite a bit, which I'm sure is pushing more pain back onto like the purchasing teams. Um, but that's that's been one thing. And then for us, I think one place where we always try to help people our customer base is to realize that, um, and this is probably getting into the weeds a little, maybe a little more than you do want to about software, but, but I guess maybe I'll just tell some stories. Like it, it seems like nine out of 10 times that we go and, and set up a facility, say for like a preventative maintenance schedule, they have this like hypothetical or ideal plan, right? It's like, we're going to take care of our gearboxes in this certain way, and we're going to take care of our hydraulic systems in this certain way. And they they have a set of products that they buy, and they have like these routine frequencies that they go and 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 maintain these these pieces of equipment. And you know, we all know that there's like different classes of parts. You know, you could buy an expensive part that's supposed to last longer, a cheap part that lasts a little less longer, but what we're trying to help people realize, like especially through software, is is like, look, labor and parts are kind of becoming your bottleneck, and you should really like listen to your supplier that's been telling you this for decades, that you can actually save money, you can actually reduce the workload and make the equipment healthier by doing less, right? Just just buy my 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 highest value, most technologically performant product. And you don't have to change your hydraulic system every year. You can do it every 10 years, right? You can. There's places you can get like a 10x reduction in the amount of work that you need to do. And yes, the product costs more, but it's not 10 times more, right? So there's cost savings there. On there's there's so much meat on the bone. Like like I, I what I was trying to say is nine times out of 10, I go into a facility and people are worried about labor. They're worried about parts, but they're not even paying attention to what what kinds of parts, what classes of parts they're buying. I'm like, guys, 
you're worried about labor and you're changing your gearbox oil like every year and you buy this i'm not going to name any particular products but you buy <laughs> you buy this product like you have so many vendors that are there to just like just send them this file and show them what you're buying and say look i have a workload of you know with my pm program i got to do 80 hours of labor a week to stay on top of it and i've only got 20 hours of of capacity help me go from 80 to 20 and like the suppliers would be all over that right and be like oh you just got to switch to this product right but it's it's like this is almost like a forced function that suppliers have been begging their customers to pay attention to for decades and finally people are like forced into realizing oh how do i do this but the cra the crazy thing is i do, i don't see i don't see it happening as fast as i would expect i don't see like the the customer leaning on the supplier that they really should to to solve that problem yeah that's that's an interesting observation because i think in some of the the sites that i've been to recently you would think that there's an opportunity to sort of kill two birds with one stone like you said if uh, just taking the example of uh, longer oil changes right you have to buy less product which your suppliers are short of yep. and then you have to use less labor which you are also short of so you know right. there's an opportunity to solve two problems with right. with one one solution and yet that's generally not the option that people take i see a yeah. lot of people out there you know rather than for example upgrading um uh, whatever it is you know gears hydraulic packs or whatever they spend a lot of time maybe taking some of the old parts and then trying to remachine them so that they can put them back on the spare parts shelf or something like that right but that's the option that yeah. they've taken versus <laughs> right. versus like you said uh, an opportunity to upgrade um so yeah Diversion paths, maybe, uh, to, yeah, to a single problem. Right. It's obviously, you know, price tag, initial investment, all that stuff comes into it. So it's not as, yeah, not as simple as it as it sounds. But from the software side, sometimes it's a little bit like you feel like it's spelled out so plainly. Like, guys, there's just just call this guy; he'll solve your problems. And and we're in <laughs> we're in an interesting we're in an interesting position because we're a software company but we've got we've got a few people with like industry experience that that no equipment no lubrication myself being being one one of the one of the group but um just from from a um you know from a an indemnity uh position we we don't go out and like make recommendations we're not a part supplier or a lubrication supplier so so we can see like the gaps and the missing points but i can't like I can't tell them, look, you just need to switch that product from product A to product B and all like this thing would just run like a, I basically the best I can do is say, Hey, call whoever sells you this product and get them to agree that you should, you should do this. Yeah. So, cause you know, we make them switch it. We're, we're not the supplier, so we can't do that, but it's, well, it's, you, you sort of tapped into it, one of the other uh, shortage themes. So when you said that, yeah, I mean, these things do cost uh, capital. So it's not necessarily a matter of flipping, flicking the switch and then buying, you know, the more premium product or anything like that. Because one of the other themes that came out was tightening ma maintenance budgets. Right. Right. So not only are people short on parts and labor, yeah. but they also can't spend any money. Right. Um, now that seems a little bit counterintuitive when you see a lot of companies running 
you know, record profits and all this kind of stuff sure. because of the shortages that we're talking about. However, let's put, put that aside because that's maybe a little bit more business, political, whatever. Um, but where I thought it would be an interesting uh, place to go with this is that you probably see different levels of uh, alignment across organizations that you go into, right? So there'll yep. be some where maintenance is very much viewed as the bad guy versus yeah, yeah. operations. Um, you know, they're the ones who have to, they spend all the money and they're just wasting versus, okay. let's say, for example, uh, businesses that are set up more like an asset management organizations or they right. have reliability teams where that, that money is seen more as, as an investment. Yeah. So are you seeing, you know, with all these shortages, are you seeing businesses try to make that transition from a maintenance focus to a reliability focus to an asset management focus? Or are people just kind of in their own lane and just plowing, plowing yeah. along? No, I think we're definitely seeing that. Um, and I think I think the movement was starting long before we ever started doing this um, and before the, this crisis came into play. But I think I think those shortages has uh, pushed it along. And I think people are approaching it in the right way. There's definitely folks that are, are doing what you described where they kind of have tunnel vision and it's just it's just a you know everybody's just looking at cost and they're not looking at reliability centered uh, programs or um you know that's that's really one of the what you mentioned about the silo between operations and maintenance is like one of the reasons main reasons why i started red list because you know as i was working with my family's business there was always this tug of war between the dispatchers in operation versus the maintenance guys right and it's like who needed the asset more and when you could just get them on the same page and just like kind of break down the silo and let the data flow between the two departments and operations could see that, hey, if we actually shut this thing down, you know, once a quarter and do what we're supposed to do to it, it never breaks down in the field and we don't have these astronomical expenses. And then likewise, obviously, the maintenance team needs to see kind of like the production goals and numbers that really they're kind of subservient, that they're they're trying to, to you know, run the business uh, outcome as well so so that's that's really what i think any organization should be striving to do at a minimum just at least break down those silos so that there's data that's being shared between maintenance and operations and i think i think one thing i've noticed just in running our business is like as soon as you're aware of a kpi or some metric or some goal being important your brain, your brain just like does this thing where it starts mattering to you and you and it influences your decisions. And even though you don't think you've made any major changes to start helping improve that KPI, you just naturally start to kind of funnel towards that goal. So it's, I think it's a huge, a huge uh, thing that companies should be looking to do in in sharing data across those those departments. And like like your question, going back to your question, is it? Are people doing it at a faster pace than they were before COVID? I'm I'm not sure, but most of the folks that we're selling to and that we're working with are are very cross-functional and they're 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 all working towards some sort of goal like that. Yeah. Oh, that's uh well that's encouraging to hear. Um maybe one last kind of question that's a bit more lubricants focused sure. you know, for, for the sake of this channel. Um Fortunately, you have some background in this in this business. Um, everyone would be familiar 
base oil supply was very tight at the beginning of COVID. Now it's more of kind of concerns around additives on uh, specific engine oils and, and gear oils, mostly. Um, what's, what's your experience in the field? Are you seeing any easing of that? Is it getting worse? Um, how, are, how are teams coping with it? Yeah, um, I haven't seen it easing up at all, but um, I guess the best pulse I have is probably with with folks that I that I know on on the supply side, and most of the most of them that I talk to feels like feel <clears throat> express that they feel like it's easing up, um, which is encouraging. Um, the some of the folks uh, in supply that that uh, you know mentioned that they have like more storage than some of the other suppliers have mentioned that recently it it's it seemed to have even shifted a little bit uh faster to their um their reserves i guess that they're using them up because their their competitors can't or whatever but from what i hear on the supply side it's should be easing up in the field i haven't heard of any uh, you know that things are getting easier or that that they've been able to go and go back to just like single source of suppliers or they're not using finding creative ways to use you know using gear oils in creative ways or you know there's there's a lot of things that i've heard out there that i didn't know you could do i, I, I don't, don't have enough experience in, in, in i guess i don't have enough uh i haven't been through enough war stories to realize you know where you can get creative with uh lubricants or, or or parts but i've heard some some funny stories so yeah right um actually one thing I, I i did neglect to mention was that there was also um that kind of uh, uh psychological aspect to to yeah. this right as well that the the shortage of everything whether it's um you know labor parts uh maintenance budget even even support you know from from upper management is sure. trickling down and having a really negative impact yeah. on yeah. a lot of frontline workers right so did you see that i mean how strongly did you see that in the results of the survey would be maybe the first question and um yeah i mean how how is sure. is, is your base yeah going? i mean I don't I don't know if we asked that explicitly in the survey, but it felt like you could almost read the stress in some of the yeah. responses. Right. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'm just thinking of my own personal life and, and you know, the last 10 customer sites I've I've been on. Like, it feels like we're all we're all maybe carrying a little more stress than than usual. Um, so I think there's a, a huge psychological component to this. And um you know not to get not to go into too many other uh tangents i'm not an expert in psychology or anything like that either um but i think i think stress is good for us um one of the one of the books that i've i've read recently is that you know mentions that if you believe stress is can can be a um a positive influence in your life it it will affect you positively and if you believe it's breaking you down then it'll break you down so it is kind of what you make of it. I think one important thing, though, is that you kind of have a way to get a break from it. So it's hard in business when, like, like you said, when there's a shortage of everything and there's not really like any any reprieve from the pressure. You're almost like relying on just your personal life to to be this de-stressor. 
Um, so I don't I don't have the perfect answer for it, but I do see our our customers, and the all the way from the managers down to the guys on the floor are a little more stressed. I see it in my own business. We're all worried about you know the same things that our customers are, just kind of different different ways of looking at those problems. Yeah. And I guess if there is any uh, upper management that happens to be listening to this, just be aware um, of the downstream effects of some of the decisions. There are people out there that are doing it uh, reasonably tough. Right. Um, all right. Well, Tal, um, it was re- it was really nice to to kind of hear. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of it's bad news, but it has been really nice to hear a lot of those results that are coming direct from uh, these maintenance teams. I think it's always really good to get that feedback so that we can better understand how industry is going um, right. and, and where it's headed as well. Um, so, you know, thanks very much for sharing all that information. I yeah, uh, really appreciate your, your time as well. Now, for anyone who um, sort of wants to check it out, I'll leave a, a link to the Redlist website. They have some really good tools for um, kind of like CMMS, but also uh, where I kind of learned about them was in managing lube routes um, and optimizing lube routing as well. And they've got some really good tools for that. So. Um, and encourage people to go and have a look because, you know, as has been talked about on this podcast before, a lot of the time lube routing does not really fit in with your CMMS very well. And so these guys have come up with a solution for that. So um, that's that's why I think it's uh, really worth checking out. But um, Tal, uh, you know, thanks very much for your time and we'll talk soon. Yeah, thank you, Rafe. We, again, really appreciate being on.